0: Welcome to Real Life, the program that talks about the life of real estate in the Hamptons and beyond. The people, the places, and the things that are the pulse and heartbeat of real estate, with your host, Broker Associate of Sotheby's International Realty, John Christopher.
1: Welcome back to Real Life, and this is your host, John Christopher. And today, we're going to follow the advice of Horace Greeley, who said, go west, young man. So we're going west to San Francisco with real estate manager Jeff Gibson. Hey, Jeff, how are you today?
2: I'm well, thank you. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing great, you know, and, and uh, it must be fabulous there in San Francisco. How's the weather, by the way?
2: It's, it's not so bad. Uh, you know, we've had a little bit of a heat up in the last week, which for us is, you know, unusual because we live under sort of the coastal fog. But today it's back in the low 60s. Yeah, great, great.
1: So before we talk about real estate in San Francisco, let's talk a little bit about you. Um, you were at one point an adjunct professor and, uh, in law and also a law partner. And so my question is, how did you segue from that into real estate?
2: Well, I describe it as a lapse in judgment. <laughs> no, See, I, I
1: thought it was the other way around. It was like, yeah, right, exactly. exactly.
2: That, that, that's a fair comment. No, <laughs> I practiced real estate law for twenty five years, and I was a uh, an attorney for Sotheby's International Realty, uh, the Northern California offices. I did a lot of their outside work. And uh, when the opportunity arose, when a manager left, they approached me and asked me if I would be interested. And, you know, it was just one of those moments in your life where it's like, wow, I can completely change careers at, you know, 50. Who would have thought?
1: Right.
3: Um, right. And it's
2: just it's been a wonderful, wonderful, great ride.
1: Wow, that's fabulous. That it's really interesting. Um, so let me ask you here in New York, we have we have a lot of new rules and, and regulations coming out of Albany like uh, impl- implicit bias, fair housing, and agency law. Have you had a, 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 an influx of new regulations with regard to agents and brokers in California increase for you also?
2: well you know i think that San, i think california is probably one of the most heavily regulated states of the 50 <clears throat> and so there is always something that is coming mm-hmm. um, but but nothing of, of tremendous note the bias in fair housing that's always been you know a, a, a front of mind with us and and the education that we do and you know i think out of the testing that happened back in uh, i think it was long island where that that testing occurred exactly um, that, you know, I think that's heightened all of our sensitivities to it, but the rules really haven't changed for us um, regarding brokers and agents. Oh, okay. We, we have had a new, which was kind of a significant thing for California. They adopted a, a statewide rent control ordinance about two years ago, and that had mm-hmm. never happened in all of, you know, the history of the state. So that was a big, big step.
1: Huh? Was it similar to, um, we just had the, the change in the rent law uh, where before, especially since we we're seasonal and people rent in the summer season, right. um, they couldn't used to be that they would get all the money up front. And then all of a sudden they said across across the state, <laughs> it has to be only one month, you know, that. Oh, uh, how interesting. Could, oh, yeah.
2: that's in other words, the rent had to be paid monthly rather than like right. another- Oh, that's really interesting. Wow.
1: You're right. And so a lot of people were a little uh, put out by it, especially, you know, when you're talking about these
2: high end rental numbers. Right. 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 That's interesting.
1: Yeah. So um, let's talk about San Francisco. How is the inventory there?
2: So I think like the rest of the United States, inventory is pretty limited. I mean, San Francisco historically always has been a very limited inventory city. Uh, We sit on a peninsula surrounded by water on three sides. And, you know, the city fathers have early on decided that they did not want a Manhattanization. That's actually the term that they used um, of San Francisco. So it is very limited where they can go up. There are certain opportunity districts where, you know, buildings can go up to 50, 60 stories. Um, but for the most part, it's a low rise, you know, high density city. Um, and that has continued to keep inventory low and prices up.
1: So in other words, like, um, uh, you know, I'm just thinking of some of the the homes there, you know, they're like brownstones that they have in Manhattan. Um, And I'm sure some of those, you know, in other words, you're saying the regulation is they couldn't tear those down and put up uh, a high rise in those areas.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's absolutely there's only a couple of neighborhoods and it's basically in the south part of the city where, uh, you know, downtown, a little bit of Long Market Street. There's a couple of opportunities. In fact, there's a few new buildings just with everything that's been going on in the last few years that have gone up that are, you know, over 50 stories. But it's just a few blocks in the mid market area that that's allowed to happen.
1: Now, do those um, those places go quickly? I mean, the, the 50 story buildings?
2: Well, so some of them are apart luxury apartment buildings, like by related, I think one or two are by related out of New York City, okay. and and then, uh, which I'm sure you guys know about. Sure. And then um, some are luxury condominiums, and those, you know, just condominiums have had a harder time in during COVID, so that uptick has been a little slow. Um, we have a, a high-rise Four Seasons, a high-rise St. Regis uh, condominiums. Uh a high rise, uh uh what's the other one? Um four seasons. Uh anyway, sorry, I forget the okay. other one. That's all right. Please yeah. cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, go ahead. That's okay. Yeah. It's okay. And so um so those, you know, initially did terrifically because we didn't have a lot of that product, but during the course of the millennium, the leaning tower that everyone knows about, right? Um The you know those have been very, very slow during COVID. Uh, but initially when they came out, they did very well because it was just a product that the city didn't have. Whereas I think New York City has a lot of that, you know, luxury high rise, you know, how high can we go? How big are the views? Right.
1: So that's interesting because uh uh, condos I thought would be easier than than co-ops because there's so many regulations, you know, to get into co-ops, where with a condo, it's you know, feta complete. If you're interested in buying it, it's you know there's not that you you own
2: absolutely and and it, it for the most part it is easier to sell a, a condo than a co-op but i think that whole market we call that market co-ops, condos, and TICs, tenancies in common. And so that is a whole separate market than single-family homes. Our single-family home market has just been blazing out here. But the condo, TIC, and co-op market has been a little bit slower. Uh, there are not a lot of co-ops in San Francisco. I personally live in one that was uh, incorporated in 1910. It's the oldest co-op west of the Mississippi, I'm told. Uh, but there's not a lot of co-ops out here, You know, maybe, maybe 15 or 20.
1: Hmm. That is OK. Fascinating. Um, has the market changed at all within the last six months?
2: Oh, I, you know, so yes and no. So I think, you know, for single family homes or a property that's in, you know, cherry clean condition, then those are still getting multiple offers. And we're still you know, we, we've been seeing offers that are like at first it was a million dollars over list. Now we've been seeing a couple of properties that go $2 million over Over list. Over list? Over list. Wow. And if you're a listing agent trying to set a price, and these are not 15, $20 million properties, these are, you know, two to $5 million properties getting that kind of overbid. And again, if it's in a particular neighborhood, if it's in good condition, so it makes it hard as the listing agent to, you know, advise the seller on where to price the thing. Um, but, but that part has been pulling back. And so the market is still strong. It's just not as strong. Last year was just, you know, blazing, and this year it's just uh, very, very healthy. Good. That is good.
1: You know, I recently was uh, speaking with a Miami Beach agent, and she said surprisingly, there's an influx of Californians coming in to her market. Is there any kind of exodus from San Francisco?
2: So I just read an article yesterday that during the pandemic, I think the stat was from July of 2020 to July of 2021, of all major U.S. cities, San Francisco lost the greatest percentage of residents. I think it was 6.8%. And I think that translated into 54,000 residents. Okay. And, you know, we, we heard during the early part of the pandemic, everybody's leaving the city, you know, the great exodus, all of that sort of stuff. And yet the, it miraculously didn't impact the housing market because, you know, we're still seeing crazy overbids, 15 buyers standing in line trying to get a property. So my take is that a lot of those 54,000 were tenants, People who, you know, for whatever reason, decided that they didn't want to have three roommates during COVID and left the city. Right. Um, But the housing market, you know, just it it just soared throughout the pandemic.
1: Okay. Um, What kind of advice since um, you're saying that uh, it must be so difficult, like you said, on pricing, what kind of advice do you (laughs) give to sellers uh, putting their their residents on the market?
2: Well, yeah, it, it's it's you know I think it was a lot easier a year ago when we were getting you know ten or fifteen offers on every listing. Mm-hmm. I think today, like literally this week, you know we're seeing instances where maybe we, we prepare disclosure packages in advance, and the clients will review the disclosure packages, and so we'll have let's say fifteen people who have downloaded or reviewed a disclosure package. And whereas before we would get 13 offers, Mm -hmm. today we'll get two to three. And so the pricing is even more important. You know, back when you were getting 13 offers, it kind of didn't matter where you priced it. The market was going to carry it there. But where you have, you know, a, a more limited You know, number of buyers who are willing to pull the trigger, it's very important to get the pricing right. And that's a a multiplicity of things. It's talking about what else is coming on, what's the competition going to be? It's talking to, you know, other agents about things that have just gone into contract or fallen out of contract. Um, You know, a big concern for me was whether rates were going to hurt us. And, you know, so far they haven't. They're up, I think it's two points uh, from the beginning of the year. And yet that has not really dramatically, you know, kill, it hasn't killed our market. It might have slowed it down a little bit on the number of offers coming in.
1: Right. Well, uh, out here we get, uh, it doesn't seem to affect us in that sense, uh, because a lot of people just come in with cash.
2: You know? Cash, right. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's a wonderful thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's true.
1: Okay. On the other hand, uh, what kind of advice do you give buyers that are coming into San Francisco?
2: Well, I actually think that there are some opportunities now, especially if there's a buyer who's looking for a downtown condominium, whether it's a -a pied-a-terre or a lot of people come here and buy places for their children who are going to school here or just getting jobs. Um, you know, the, the, the Silicon Valley Sand Hill Road has not gone away and that 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 draw of money and high paying professional jobs is still pulling people into the city, you know, hand over fist. So um, that is continuing to push our market. And I feel like that's a great opportunity for people who have been priced out to, to find some opportunities now in the condo market.
1: Is is um San Francisco, like when you mentioned the uh, Silicon Valley, like Atherton, from what I understand, like, um, you know, houses are trading within three days. Is that the same thing in San Francisco?
2: It is. It depends on the property. But yeah, we see stuff go into contract, you know, within a day or so if it's if it's in great condition and priced well. Wow. that's. Yeah. Really- and we also have stuff. I mean, I think our average days on the market now is 17. I think it's gone up a little bit. Um, but, yeah, it was down to 13 days. I mean, it's it's just been pretty staggering. That is amazing.
1: What do you think uh, going forward in the next six months? What do you think the market's going to be like?
2: Gosh, I wish I, could, I, wish I knew that answer. You don't have a crystal it, ball? You know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I would I'd probably make some money off of it. I don't know. I, I really don't know what's going to happen over the course of the year. I think we're all, you know, all companies are sort of, you know, preparing for a bit of a pullback. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I, I don't I don't think there's going to be any sort of collapse. But I do feel like, you know, given the fact that 2021 was a you know, historic year for us, um, that it will be less than it, you know, our, our Q2 and our Q3 and Q4 are going to be less than they were in 2021. That would not surprise me at all. But I don't think it's going to be you know, falling off of a cliff. It's still, you know, again, the, the basic economics of the city are still pretty strong. Excellent.
1: How can somebody uh, get in touch with you if they had any questions?
2: Uh, sure. My email address is Jeffrey, J-E-F-F-R-E-Y, period, Gibson, G-I-B-S-O-N, at Sotheby's Realty. There's no dot com.
1: Okay, fantastic. Jeff Gibson, it's been a pleasure having you on the program. And this is John Christopher for Real Life, broadcasting here in the wonderful village of Southampton, New York. Please stay where you are, since we'll be right back after this short break. Welcome back to Real Life. And this is your host, John Christopher. And today I have top Corcoran broker, Mary Slatterty. Hi, hey, Mary, how are you today? Uh, Hey, John, I'm doing great today. How are you? I'm doing fantastic, especially now that I'm speaking to you. (laughs) (laughs) Mary, you know, we've known each other for quite some time, but I don't know what you were doing before real estate. So where did you grow up? Well, actually, I grew up uh, on the North Shore of Chicago.
3: Um, I ended up on the East Coast because I went to college uh, first in Washington, D.C. at Catholic University. And then I transferred to a small college in Westchester. Sarah Lawrence College, oh. uh, and upon graduation, like the minute I graduated, I drove into Manhattan and uh, started a career at 22 uh, in uh, theater, um, and uh, I was in television. I did commercials and soap operas and you know things like that. That's fantastic. Um, That's really yeah, great. yeah, yeah. That's how I started, and um, my Don't dad was a great
1: I want your yep. autograph now. You know that.
3: Oh, stop, stop. <laughs> my dad My dad was a voiceover talent in Chicago, out of Chicago. And so I, gr- I grew up in and around the business. And so that was kind of a natural segue. Um, but then I and I also started working as a producer. I worked on uh, industrial shows and, and television and, and so on and so forth. Um, when I got married, uh, my husband and I bought a little house out in the Hamptons on Escape And uh, we decided to move out to the Hamptons in 2000, Hmm. full time. So I've been here now, it'll be 22 years in September. And um, when we moved to the Hamptons, we kind of had to figure out what to do. And I did not start in real estate when I came to the Hamptons. I started in uh, fundraising and special events. So I worked for a lot of the charitable organizations in and around Southampton, East Hampton, Wow. Um, and that kind of gave me a base of meeting people and knowing people. I did that for about five years. And then in 2006, I jumped off the cliff and got a real <laughs> estate license. And, and that's, that's kind of how you yeah, got, that's, that,
1: how, that's how you got into to real estate out here. In yeah. The
3: wow. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, it was, it, it, uh, it just seemed to be the natural segue. And um, I was encouraged to get the license. I just never thought it would be something I would be um, good at or something that I would love as much as I do. I really felt intimidated when I first started in real estate. And I you know, went into an office that was highly, pro- highly producing. Hmm. It was the Alan Schneider office in oh, Southampton Village. Right. Yeah. And six months later, Corcoran bought Alan Schneider. So my whole career has been with this same group of people, um, you know, that core group and then new people in and out. So, I mean, it's it it was and I wasn't young when I started, you know, it wasn't I wasn't a baby. I was already a a
1: formed adult, Mm -hmm.
3: as I like to say.
1: Well, you know, it's um, interesting what you're saying, because, you know, I was talking with another agent and I was saying that. Uh, knowing what I know now, I wish I had started in real estate earlier. And mm-hmm. do you think uh, people that are, uh, you know, just out of college, you think that's a, a good thing for them to go into real estate or she said that she felt that the experience of life experience prior to that gave her, you know, um, a foot up so to speak because yeah
3: you know i i tend to agree with with the, whoever you were speaking to you know i think that what this career has done for me is it's brought together all the pieces and parts of things that i had done previous mm-hmm. um to being in real estate and really i central to my business and i think a lot of people would tell you this about me and i think it's true of you too john Mm-hmm. As a broker, um, you know developing relationships with people is really key to success in real estate. And that, you know, when you're young, you think, "Oh, all my friends will list with me," or, or ha- that's not tr- it's not true. Right. But, but you tend, I tend to find that the people who come back to me, you know, people I've nurtured for five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years as right. renters, they end up buying. And it, and I do have one. Um, couple that I sold to in Watermill and I had been renting to them for 10 years. I never thought they would buy a house, (laughs) you know, and and actually they reminded me how long we had been working together. I had even forgotten. So I think that part of developing, um, you know, life skills and developing other business skills and developing people skills uh, comes into play for real estate. And I think that's I think that's honed over time.
1: I really do. Yeah. I I tend to agree with you, you know, uh, because it's, uh, you know, it's funny. I don't know if you have children, but, uh, you know, I said to my daughter, uh, whom I think, you know, is uh,
3: who I I do know and adore. (laughs) I love your daughter. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) She's a
1: pistol. She's a pistol. (laughs) And I said, would you ever consider going into real estate? And she said, no way, daddy. (laughs) But who knows? You know, we don't we don't know.
3: Well, we don't know. And I think, um, you know, um, if you read the, the press is, or about real estate, especially in the last two years, the pandemic frenzy, you know, one would think that it's an easy, glamorous job with a payday, you know, every other minute. Uh, and I don't find it to be easy, glamorous or, you know, a payday every minute. Uh, it's a, I, I've never worked as hard as I as I do as I do now in my life. It's really 24
1: seven, basically.
3: It's 24 seven. It's seven days a week. It's 10 hours a day. uh, You know, and it's, you know, the constant um, communicating with people, you know, and that when I started, I was thinking about this this morning because I knew I was going to talk to you when I started. I was I had a BlackBerry and I didn't even really use it that much. And um, it was pre You know, iPhones, you know, everybody had a Blackberry Mm -hmm. and people did not, there was no texting then. It was just email and phone. And so now it's email, texting, phone, and then email, texting, phone. And, you know, it goes in a cycle. Right. And I just find it to be, you know, if you don't learn how to control yourself on the device, it'll just take away, I mean, it takes every minute of your day. You know, oh,
1: true. You know, it's funny. One of the things that I remember uh, out of real estate school, starting back in uh, the dark ages for myself, was that uh, uh, I had one instructor that said, either real estate controls you or you control real estate. Correct. Correct. And,
3: and I think that's very true.
1: It is. It is. And, and it,
3: I, And I I do think, though, if you're older, if you're if you're an older person and you've had other careers where you had hours that you worked, you tend to gravitate more towards setting boundaries around your time. Um, And I don't have hard and fast boundaries, but I do in every single day. I have I have time that I don't spend doing real estate. It's typically very early in the morning. Like 6 a.m. to 8 a.m., hmm. where I exercise and I, you know, read, th- you know, do some readings and things that I enjoy. Um, and I might formulate my list for the day of things that I need to do. Um, and, um, you know, I, I just, and I, and at night too, I cut it off at a certain point because I can't, uh, you know, you have to have rest.
1: Right. And you have to recharge too. You, have <laughs> you to do recharge. have to recharge. You I do know, have to I recharge. Know. So let's talk about uh, some real estate. Uh, we're into the summer season, and have you noticed mm-hmm. any difference in the rental market as compared to last year? Oh my God. It's so, <laughs> oh my God. Haven't you? I mean, this <laughs>
0: I rental season
3: <laughs> is beyond difficult. And if, you know, I told an owner, a rental owner who's actually a very dear friend of mine, I've known him for probably 25 years and I have his house as a rental um, little adorable house, which is yet rented. It's not rented yet. It's just still sitting there. And I said, if I tell you that I have had this conversation with 10 different owners every single day, I of the last month, I'm not kidding you. It's not
1: an exaggeration, right?
3: It's not an exaggeration. And you know, I think part of it is the pandemic pushed the rental prices up so high. Um, The last two years, houses have been renting at record numbers at every level. And the owners of those homes haven't really adjusted back to the fact that we're not in that particular market anymore. We're in a post-pandemic market. Um, And I think, you know, a lot of people who were renting, who, you know, John, you and I took them around for four years when no one would buy anything. Right. You know, those are the people that in a frenzy bought in, in the summer of 2020 when we went back to work after our shutdown. And those were the bread and butter renters that we had.
1: And now, you know, homeless. so
3: I think right. I think that market, that pool has been depleted. Um, and so it just seems like everything is off balance, doesn't it seem to you?
1: Oh, Absolutely. You know, it's it's also um, uh, interesting when you, if we talk about sales, I mean, inventory is at an all-time low now, and I'm sure you've had owners approach you saying, you know, Mary, I'd sell my house if I got X price. And I'm sure right. X price is more than what you think the house should sell for. So, what exactly. you, think, you know, I, I, I've gotten quite a few of those saying, you know, like, John, I, I put my market on, if you can get me this. And I said, I, I can't get you that. You know, it's- right. Well,
3: I have I have that same experience and the way that I've been answering um, potential sellers is it's still a great market for a seller. It's not as quick as it was. Um, So if you want a specific number and you're willing to wait because the inventory is so low, that's great. But I also say to owners. If you want to put your house on the market, you have to accept the fact that you're not buying back into this market for a couple of years. So true. You know, and and then that that kind of puts people at a pause, you know. Now, if they're leaving the area or they're they're downsizing, you know, a lot of people out here own multiple properties in different locations. And they might say, well, this one I can let go of. You know, that's a different kind of seller than someone who's just looking to capitalize on what they still think is the pandemic market. I think we're, I think, I think we've come off that high, and I think we're not, still not in a realistic market. But I do think that with the inventory being so low, you know, it's still a seller's market.
1: Right. Well, let me ask you the question. Speaking of pricing. Um, how do you, uh, cause I know you have a number of, uh, listings, how do you price based upon comps? Because you can't go back to, uh, Boy, six it's hard. or, or it's a year r- ago because the market keeps changing almost uh, daily. It seems,
3: you know, what's a real, I think, well, I do look at the comps. I mean, we all do, and, and yeah. they don't make any, and they don't really make any sense anymore. You know, um, in, um, the other thing, and your company does it as well as mine. Actually, we're the same company, but um, big company. But, um, you know, I look at the quarterly reports and I look at year over year. And, and before I price something, I actually call one of my managers. I have two. And I say, what is the market up percentage wise year over year? Exactly in this particular area, Southampton Village, Hampton Bays, you know, wherever I'm trying to price something. And they say, well, two years ago, it was this. And then a year later, it was 30. It's it's about 30 percent up, you know, from the start of the pandemic. It's even 30 percent up still over last year. And I factor that in, you know, but it has to make sense.
1: Of course. The number has to 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 make sense. Forgive me, please. Uh, But we got to jump and so how can someone get in touch with you?
3: Well, the best way to reach me is my cell number, which is 631-375-9943, uh, or email, call or text or email Mary, M-A-R-Y, dot Slattery, S as in Sam, L-A-T-T-E-R-Y,
1: at Corcoran.com. Fantastic. Mary Slattery, it's been a a delight and a pleasure having you on. This is John Christopher for Real Life, broadcasting on the only NPR station on Long Island, WLIW 88.3 FM. Thank you so much for listening. And again, be sure to have an awesome journey.
0: You have been listening to Real Life, the program that talks about the people, the places, and the things that are the pulse and heartbeat of real estate in the Hamptons and beyond with host John Christopher, who also created the music for Real Life. WLIWFM's Delaney Hafner and Kyle Lynch provide production support. Thank you for joining us for Real Life right here on listener-supported 88.3 WLIWFM. Long Island's only NPR station, which you can also find on your favorite streaming apps and at WLIW.org radio.